Well, welcome, 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 everybody. We can get everybody to come on in. We'll get started tonight. I want to start tonight by saying thank you for taking part in our Roots uh, spring semester. It ends in the spring. It certainly doesn't feel like spring right now, but uh, thanks for joining this. The topic in this semester is going to be from the beginning to the end, and I'll explain in a minute what all that means. But I want to say thank you. I know there's a lot of things you can do with your time. I get it. But you have committed yourself to come and study God's Word. And I want to challenge you, finish what you start. Finish what you start. Um, the reward always is in perseverance. Perseverance. So it was 10 years ago uh, that the Nineveh Christian Church started a 31-week Sunday night. That's back when we were doing Sunday night services before we started doing all these multiple services. I don't know how many of you were part of that then. It was called The Story. How many of you all did some version of that here or somewhere? A few of you. We did th that study called The Story for all age groups during our Sunday night services, and it went over great. It was like a year-long thing. And we're about to do it again, even though it won't be like then. It's going to be in a condensed version. I've labeled it from the beginning to the end, and it is my plan to transform a 31-week study into 13 weeks. So I'm going to tell you right now, I should have put seatbelts on the chairs because <laughs> when we get started, we're rolling, okay? Because I have already done it because um, I wouldn't be bold enough to do it as we go. I'm, I'm not that brave. I've already finished it. I, I took 31 chapters from the story and I rewrote them into 13 sessions. And that's what we're going to do. These 13 weeks will take us from Genesis to Revelation at warp factor 10. Okay? You, you Star Trek people will get that. The goal is simple. Everybody listen. This study helps us see the entire Bible as a single story. You have to get this. You have to see the entire Bible as a single story versus 66 individual separate books. It's one story revealing one God with one purpose, one Savior, one King, one plan of redemption. From the first page to the last page, it's the same story. And when you start reading the Bible like that, you'll see things you never saw. And this study will do that. I can tell you, this study is going to do that. If you will persevere through this study, you're going to see what you never saw before. In fact, I'll just tell you, I'll make a prediction. It'll happen tonight. You're going to see something tonight that you have never seen. And when I say that, you're going to see a sequence of events that connect a series of dots that reveal to you this one story of God. One story. How's that for a promo, okay? Let's pray. Father, we give you all the praise and glory and honor for you are worthy of our attention, our devotion, our one hour on a Wednesday night in the wintertime. So we commit this next 13 weeks to you. We ask that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that would believe, receive, and obey you. 
We, we commit all of this to you for the glory of your name and for the souls of man. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'll notice at the top of the handouts, by the way, we're not going to be doing live stream. Uh, there's multiple reasons for that. So if you want to watch it, can't be here, you'll have to wait the, the next day. It'll be online on Thursdays, on our website on Thursdays. Outlines will be on the websites on Thursdays. And there's a, you know, we want you to be here. Okay? We want you to be here. There's something about being here. If you can't be here, then the next day you can, you can pick it up. But if you'll notice at the top of your handout, it says chapters 1, 2, and 3. I told you there's 31. Tonight will be the first three. The story, chapter 1, it, it's called creation. Sometimes we need to go back to the basics, the foundations of our faith, the foundations of the story. This is all God's story. The story is told of legendary Green Bay Packers coach Vince Lombardi starting the season by holding up a game ball and saying with slow clarity, gentlemen, this is a football Similarly, to help his basketball players focus on the fundamentals, the great UCLA coach John Wooden would begin each season by teaching his team how to correctly put on their socks and tie their shoes. Can you imagine being at that level, playing for UCLA, and a coach comes in and says, let me tell you how to tie your shoes. It sounds laughable. He believed there was a right way to do these simple tasks, and these acts impacted the rest of the game. Both Lombardi and Wooden were very successful. You could not question their results. Their insistence on putting first things first led their teams to win many victories. Without a solid foundation, they both knew that the results would not have been so glorious. Everything about this chapter one is about a foundation. Chapter one of the story is God's version of this. This is the football. This is the football. It's the foundation. And this is how we put on our socks and our shoes. This is important. These opening pages in this book provide the foundation building blocks of God's story that will tell us about our story. And if you know anything, how many of you all know anything about Ken Ham? Ken Ham, the guy that got the ark up in northern Kentucky. One of the things I am so impressed in, about Ken Ham is this. He, under, he gets it. He gets it that without Genesis, the rest of this book makes no sense. If you extract the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis out of the Bible, which much of the modern church has done, the creation story, you have gutted the foundation of the Bible itself. And the rest of it eventually won't make any sense. The story begins with the foundation. God is the creator and the initiator of everything. People are the crown of his creative activity, and God wants to be in a relationship with his created people. Though people messed up and embraced sin rather than the creator, God loves us so much. Listen, church, <clears throat> Genesis proves something. 
Though mankind fail in the very beginning to worship its creator, God decided he will do anything and everything to build a bridge back to a relationship with us. The Bible reveals that truth. He will do whatever it takes to get us back. That's why we find this scripture as early as Genesis 3. By the way, some of you know, notice you've been here for a while, that normally I preach from the New Living Translation. I decided for this session I'm going to go preach from the NIV, just to shake it up a little bit. I study from the New American Standard. Okay, so I don't want to make anybody confused. I study from the NASB 95. So when I study words, study detail, deep study, I do studies from the New American Standard Bible 95 version. When I preach, I preach from the New Living Translation. I have a hundred people a year ask me, why do you do that? Because I'm not trying to make theologians. I'm trying to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a theologian, that's a different class, okay? I'm trying to teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that it's simple. We don't need to make it complicated. It's simple. So you'll notice in this series, I'm using the New International Version. Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Who's he talking to? This is after the curse. This is after, this is the curse. This is after the fall of man. After the fall, they have Eve has sinned, she's given it to Adam, he sinned by partaking of it. This is the fall of man. And he's looking at the serpent, he's looking at Satan. God is looking at Satan, and he's announcing something that affects the rest of this story. And how many people read this, Genesis 3, and they don't get it? What? And I will put enmity. You know what enmity is? It's not a common word. It's a natural form of hatred. Between you, the serpent, and the woman. You wonder why women hate snakes? It's in here. You wonder why my wife screams when I say snake? It's in here. God looks at the serpent and says, I'm going to put an enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, Eve. It gets deeper. And between your offspring... He's talking to the serpent, to the offspring of the serpent, and what? And her offspring. So this enmity, this hatred, this war, this battle, it's not going to just be between you and Eve in the garden. It's going to be between those that flow out of you and Eve from the garden into the future. It'll affect all the future of mankind. And I will put God's, I will put hatred, war in the serpent and Eve and those who flow from the serpent and Eve. Listen, and the conclusion of the story is revealed in Genesis chapter 3. And he, I'll just tell you, his name's Jesus. The seed of a woman will crush your head. Who's he talking to? The serpent. In Genesis 3, he's already revealing the end of the story. Yes! Yes! He's already revealing it. He's going to crush your head. 
You just don't know how and when he'll do it. And he's revealing this too. And you will strike his heel. That's the cross. You will one day strike his heel. But in doing so, unknowingly, he will crush your head and defeat death. Did you know that's in the third chapter of the book of Genesis? When God looked at creation and declared it to be both good and very good, what do you think he was trying to express? So let's go from Genesis 3, let's back up. Let's go to Genesis 1, verse 4. And by the way, this is day one of God's sixth day. And somebody asked me, you think that's literal six 24-hour days? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because you know what? I'm not buying that men are smarter than God. I'm not going, I'm not, if you want to go for that, you're in the wrong class. Okay? That God's Word, and we'll get into that. God's Word is crucial. Day one, God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. That's day one, right? What did he say? It's good. So if he's the scorecard, he's separating light from darkness, it's good. Day three, God called the dry ground land, and he gathered waters, he, and gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Day three again. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seeds according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Everything he's doing on this new earth, it's good, good, good so far. Let's go to day four. To, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness, God saw that it's good. Day five. So God created the great creatures of the sea, every living, moving thing, which with uh, with which the waters teem according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. There's a lot of good going on down here. And day six, and God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And day, day six, God saw that all that he made. And that uses a different word. Even in original languages, it's a different word. He saw that everything that he made, and it's now very good. When he throws them all together, it's very good. And there was evening, morning, and it's the sixth day. He made the light, the land, the sea, the vegetation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea creatures, the birds, the animals. And he looks at all of that and says, that's very good. Now, good is not bad. Good is good. But there has to be somebody who can measure good and bad. So he's the measurer, and he says it's good. And then he does something. In the middle of all of the good, God has an ultimate creation. It's more important to him than the sun and the moon and the stars and the sea creatures and the vegetation and the critters that scurry along the ground. It's people. Why? Verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image. 
in our likeness. Now, right away, something is unique. What he's about to do will be to create someone, something that's like him. And that's unique. It's like him. The birds aren't like him. The, the sea creatures aren't like him. He's going to do something like him in our likeness, like us. And, and let them, <clears throat> let them rule. So they're going to be, have dominion. They're going to have authority. Let them rule over the fish of the sea. That's why when I go fishing and I get up next to the pond, the fish all go, they all take off. That's supposed to be a joke and y'all don't even get any of that. <laughs> if you've ever been fishing with me, they don't ever come back either. She <laughs> says, let them rule over the fish of the sea. Let them rule over the birds of the air, over the, over the livestock and over the earth and all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. By the way, the two genders has already been settled. It's settled. He created two genders. It's over. Now, how does man reflect the image of God? Because we were created in Genesis to reflect the image of God, to to be like Him. We were created to be like God. So it kind of defines the purpose of life, that we could reflect His glory, to be like Him. We can't be God, but we're supposed to be like God, okay? What is it about us that makes us different than the rest of creation? Because if you read the details of the Genesis account, the, you know, the, the animals have the breath of life. Did you ever notice that, that wording, and, and he gave Adam the breath of life, but he also gave the animals, the, the, a cow, a horse. He, he gave these animals the breath of life. What, what's different? The soul. The human soul. He, he, when God breathed into man the breath of life, it came with a human soul. And I, I want you to understand something. The rest of the Bible clearly defines this point as well. That the soul is eternal. It's not eternal from the perspective it's always been. It's eternal from the perspective it will always be. So when I say eternal, it's not like God eternal because God has always been and will always be. You and I, God's creation, mankind, mankind, is eternal from the perspective that may, you might have a starting point and the day before that you were not and today you are, but there will never or ever be a day in which you are not. You are eternal. And that creates the need for the rest of the story. The question is about where will you spend eternity? With God or without God? Because you're eternal. So when God breathed into you the breath of life, and you became a living soul, you were formed in your mother's womb, and the, and the breath of God, life itself was put into you, and, and, and your, your, His breath is pushed you into eternity. So, so we're traveling right now, all of us, we're traveling into eternity with the breath of life in us. 
The question is, where will we spend eternity? Because your, your body might die, but your soul is not your body. Genesis reveals something. We're created in the likeness and the image of God. We, we have a soul. If you, like Adam, could walk with God in a perfect garden or paradise, just like you would with a friend, what would you ask him? And the, and the question for us today is, are we today like Adam, or are we today separated because of what happened to Adam? You see, there was a point, if you read the Genesis account, that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, that there was this fellowship. Uh, there was no separation. There was no fear. He, he didn't need to hide because he's naked. You know, he didn't, he had no shame. He had no guilt. He had no fear that he and his creator were like this and they were friends and life is good and life is forever, right? But something has separated man from God. Something came in the middle of this uh, relationship between man and God. And what is it today, right now, that would keep you from talking to God as a friend? And he will, and the seed of woman will crush the serpent's head, and he will strike his heel. There is something separating us. And there was something announced in Genesis that was going to have to happen to restore the broken relationship with God and man. And it's announced in there, the relationship was broken, and the only restoration was announced that in the future, one will strike, one is going to, the seed of woman's going to crush the serpent's head. And that gap between man and God will be restored. And fellowship with God will be restored. How? I want to introduce a word called choice. It's found in the book of Genesis. It's a big word. I have often, just the way I've always looked at choice, it is man's greatest gift and man's greatest curse wrapped in the same package, the ability to choose. Do you remember that God used the word good after he reviewed the results of his creation? Notice that choice was also inside of that creation. And I want you to have this idea as we get into this next part. The soul seems to come explicitly with the ability of choice. The human soul has choice, the ability to choose. Animals do not. You're not going to have a bird Somebody will debate this with me, and that's fine. You don't have a bird that's going to one day come out and look at the other birds and say, I am sick of singing the same song. I want a new song. I'm not going to be like everybody else. I want to be a different kind of a bird. That bird's going to be a bird until the bird drops dead out of the tree. You know why? He doesn't have choice. But God created a people. And he gave us a soul. And you think, wow, that's awesome because that's the breath of life. It's eternal. And then he gave you a choice. And you say, uh-oh, 
Maybe that's the problem. Genesis 2.9. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food, and in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of da 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 good and evil. Choice. Everything has been said to be what so far? Day one, day two, day three, day four. It's all good, 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 very good. And now there's good and evil. Ooh. Freedom of choice. Have you ever thought about this? I can really get sidetracked here, so I'm going to try not to. You know, there cannot be a choice unless there's two. There is no choice with one. If there's only one tree, there is no choice. There has to be two. And there is no freedom unless there's the ability to choose. So if there's only one tree and there is no choice, then you are a robot. You are just like a bird in that tree. You're not like God. You're not in his image, not in his likeness. He didn't create people who would have to love him and serve him. He created people who could, if they would, if he would make a way. The ability to choose. Adam and Eve chose by eating of the forbidden fruit to reject the plan of God. And by rejecting the plan of God in their choice, an alternate plan entered humanity. That decision didn't just affect them, but it affected all of mankind. And I want you to think about this. Um, in the garden, I don't have time to go into the story, but in the garden, God said and the serpent said. There were two voices from heaven speaking to the person of the earth. Two voices, two words. Which word will the person of earth hear and follow? Choice. Good and evil. Choice. Human soul. Choice. It has to be two for it to be a choice. The alternate plan brought death. Thus the phrase good and evil. Evil is death. God warned them about the consequences, but God still gave them the ability to choose. Genesis 2, 17. <clears throat> God said, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat, you will surely die. Surely die. Two voices from heaven. Choice is the human soul. Genesis 3, 4. Here's the other voice. <clears throat> you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Good and evil, the human soul comes with choice. Have you ever thought that the act of God throwing them out of the beautiful garden was actually an act of grace? Because what happens in the story? In the story, Eve chose, gave it to Adam, he ate. <clears throat> what happens next? You got to go. You got to go. Adam, Eve, the, the ultimate of my creation story, and now you have to leave me. I cannot remain with you. Have you ever, because this hit me years ago, have you ever thought, 
it almost looks like this um, judgment. You sin, judgment. I want to ask you, have you ever thought about that as a beautiful moment of grace? Not judgment, grace. He could have just killed them both. Because what did he say? If you eat of this, you will surely die. So by his own words, he could have what? You're dead. You will surely die. Instead of, if you read the, uh, the account of Adam's life, he lived 930 years. 930 years. So it was grace. What would happen <clears throat> when sin filled man, Adam and Eve, after the fruit, encountered the very presence of the holy God? What happens if they were allowed to stay in the garden and they came into the presence of God when holy and unholy would meet? What would happen? It's a theological question. What would happen? They would be consumed by his own holiness. Their unholiness would be overcome by his holiness. So instead of consuming them, he separated himself from them and put up a gate on the east side of the Garden of Eden so that they could not re-enter the garden. Noah <clears throat> and the sin that followed him past the flood proves that man will not be able to save themselves or modify their behavior. Why? The woman's seed will always need to crush the serpent's head. Man will never be able to modify his own behavior. Man will never be able to read the story of Adam and Eve and say, now I'll do everything right. Because you can't. We'll always be left in the same place as Genesis 3. The woman's seed is going to have to crush the serpent's head to fix this. Noah was still in the lineage of Adam. Even though he, there was a worldwide flood, the sin nature had transferred beyond the flood. Here's what, we're about to enter the chapter 2. Does the sin nature of Adam and Eve, and going all the way down through Methuselah to Noah, does the sin of Adam and Eve stop when he brings water upon the, uh, on the earth? Does, does mankind post-flood come and say, we're not going to do that again? They can't. Genesis 3 already outlined that the woman's seed is going to have to crush the serpent's head. The thing is, and we're going to get into this in the weeks ahead, Satan doesn't know how and when. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Chapter 1 summary, here we go. In this entire series, you're going to have an upper story and a lower story. The upper story is what God does in heaven. The lower story is how God's upper story plays out on the earth in the lower story. His vision is to come down and be with us in a beautiful garden. God's desire is to come down and be with us in a beautiful garden. The first two people reject God's vision, and they're escorted out of paradise. Their decision, their choice, introduces sin into the human race and keeps us, all mankind, 
from community with God. At this moment, God gives a promise and launches a plan to get us back. The rest of the Bible is God's story of how he kept the promise and made it possible for us to enter a loving relationship with him. How? Because one day in the future, looking from Genesis forward, the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head, but he, the serpent, will strike the seed of woman's heel. Choice. Two voices from heaven. Chapter 2. God builds a nation. We've jumped past the flood. God builds a nation. Have you heard, ever heard anyone say the Lord works in mysterious ways? So let's face it. How does work, how does he work in, um, how, why do we call them mysterious? Why do we read the Bible or see life happen and say, well, that's mysterious? He is mysterious. Let me prove it. Who will speak for God? Moses. If you read the Bible, he chooses Moses, a man who hated public speaking. Why pick him? Who will lead God's people to victory? In the Old Testament, it was Deborah, a woman who was not trained as a warrior, and women in the Old Testament never filled those roles. Who will, who will be the disciple of Jesus? Matthew, a tax collector. With a he was a notorious sinner. Who will write half the books of the New Testament? Paul, a man who had destroyed churches and killed Christians. When he got ready to pick disciples, who did he pick? The religious scholars in Jerusalem? No, he picked fishermen from the Sea of Galilee. Now, who would you pick to make a great nation through which you would reveal God's great plan to redeem and save the world? Who would you pick, if you were in charge, who would you pick to reveal a kingdom from heaven that would come to the earth to establish a people called the children of God? Who would you pick? Would you pick a 75-year-old man with a wife who can't have children? I wouldn't. I'd say that's a crazy idea. Remember week one? God is going to do whatever it takes to get us back. God will do whatever it takes to get us back. The calling of Abram, which is Abraham, is the beginning of this marvelous plan to build a great nation, a kingdom that would reveal the children of God. The children of God. The woman's seed. The woman's seed. The woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. The children of God will be the victors in the end. The children of God, I've said it how many times in the last few weeks here, the children of God will be the only survivors of the spirit war. They're the only survivors. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you and curse. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set off from Haran. Now, that's a whole lot of promises. And you know what he said your part is, Abram? I just want you to get up and leave, and I'll do the rest. 
So Abram did something. He got up, took his wife, and he took off. Headed toward what we know now as the promised land. But understand something. He was 75 years old, and it's taken too long. Let's have an Ishmael. Where do you think that came from? Let's have an Ishmael. It's taken too long. In Genesis, I told you what? There were two voices from heaven speaking to the people on the earth. Two voices from heaven. Which voice will you listen to? There's a choice. So God has already gave his word, right? Through you, I'm going to create a supernatural race, a nation of people called the children of God. But it's taken too long. Let's have an Ishmael. It's the serpent's voice. It's the serpent's way. Ishmael represents man's way or the serpent's way to reach God. It doesn't work. We can wait on God or we can have an Ishmael in our lives even today. Church, do you understand? Ishmael just is a picture of what happens when you listen to the other voice in the time of waiting. In the time of waiting. God's already made his promise to Abraham. He's already made his promise. I'm going to do all this stuff. All you got to do is just believe me and follow me. Did you know that Ishmael had 12 sons? For those of you who don't know the story of Ishmael, he's the, uh, Sarah got impatient. Abraham, she talked to Abraham and having uh, sex with her handmaiden. She gets pregnant and they have an Ishmael. This is not God's plan. God's not happy with this plan. Ishmael becomes the the fruit of Abraham, but he is not going to carry the promise of Abraham that was for Isaac. Ishmael is man's way. Isaac is God's way. They are two voices from two different sources in heaven. Did you know Ishmael had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the, uh, the 12 uh, tribes of the Arab nations? And they are the foundation of Islam. Did you know that? I want you to contrast that to Isaac, who was the child of the promise, who had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. What a coincidence that happened to be the Israelites, the tribes of Israel. So I want to show you the test, the test of legitimate children of God faith. So Abraham made a mistake. He had a Ishmael. He should have waited for Isaac. The wars of the Middle East today still find their roots in Ishmael and Isaac. What's bad? In fact, I was watching the news this morning, and there are rockets coming out of Gaza into Israel. Those rockets from Gaza to Israel began with Ishmael. It begins with Ishmael. Genesis 22.1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you. Now, the test is this. Will a man follow God's word or listen to the other voice? It was the test of Adam and Eve. It's the test of Abraham. There's two voices. There's two words. You will die. You will not surely die. You can have an Ishmael or why wait for the Isaac? Now that he has an Isaac, 
Now that he has an Isaac, he, he, he's 100 years old. Actually, at this stage, he's more than 100 years old. And another word comes from God, take Isaac to the altar Moriah and kill him. Offer him as a sacrifice. The choice has always been the same. Which voice, which word will I listen to? Which word? There has to be two for there to be a choice. The preview. So where did he tell him to take him? Where did he tell Abraham to take his, his only son Isaac? To the region of Moriah, and there you will sacrifice him to me. Is that a preview? Go to, sec, go to 2 Chronicles 3.1. Then Solomon, we're fast forwarding into the future, King Solomon. Solomon began to build a temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on what? Mount Moriah. Well, isn't that a coincidence that they're going to build the temple of God on the same place that Abraham was told by God to go sacrifice your son Isaac? What does that mean? Where the Lord had appeared to his father David, it was the threshing floor of Aronah, the Jebusite, the place provided by David. So, back to the Isaac story. Abraham builds an altar on Moriah, as God has commanded. He chose to listen to the right voice. The phrase, your only son, your only son, appears for the first time in this scene of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. And you know what I hear when I say that coming out of my mouth? In my heart I hear, and the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. Some of you aren't getting it. The word, your only son. When God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, your only son, to the region of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him on a place that I will show you. In the future, that place will be the temple in Jerusalem, behind a curtain, where, there, where the priests would come and make sacrifices to atone for the sins of mankind. In Jerusalem would be the place that the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. On Moriah, your only son. It's already been decided. The question is, what choices will you make? Which voice will you listen to in the time of waiting? Generations later, King David builds an altar on this same spot to stop a plague of death in Jerusalem. King David's son will build the temple on the same spot. Where was Jesus crucified? In Jerusalem, the future place of Mount Moriah. The upper story is beyond our understanding, but we can see this. God has a plan. I'm going to say this a lot during this series. Satan didn't know. Do you think if Satan knew the crucifixion of Christ would crush his head that he would have asked Judas to betray him? He didn't know. He didn't know. This is so much beyond our ability to comprehend. The battle in the heavenly realms. Satan didn't know. So when you see that some of this just doesn't make sense, you need to understand that God is doing it in the midst of a great spirit war 
where he has in advance announced his end plan, that the seed of a woman's going to crush the serpent that brought sin to the earth. He's going he's to fix it. So Satan can read, but he doesn't know how he's going to do it. At the age of 75, Abram believed and followed God when most people would think they were finished. Why is this significant for us today? God doesn't do things the way we do. It makes your life a lot easier when you come to grips with that. Looking at the calling of Abram below and list God's part and Abraham's part in this great adventure of creating a new nation, a kingdom that would reveal the children of God. There's so much we could learn from this. What's God's part and what's our part in this great calling of the children of God? Genesis 12, 1, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. So I want you to know something. What's God's part? What's Abraham's part? Abraham's part is that. Get up and go. Here's God's part. I want you to notice how many times it says, I will. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, then I will curse them. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. What do you got to do, Abraham? Get up and go. He's the same God. What was God looking for in Abraham? What's he looking for us today? What could we draw church from this story, ancient story today? I will, if you will believe me. That's it. It's called faith. Hebrews, we're back in, now we're jumping into the New Testament, into the church. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed. And he went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him to the same promise. Faith is going to be the way to find the woman's seed. Is anybody listening? God is revealing in the Scripture that the way to find the woman's seed that's going to crush the serpent's head is going to be faith. How are you going to become a child of God and get into this plan of redemption? Faith. Did you ever wonder why God takes so long sometimes? Isaac was married to Rebekah for 20 years before they had Jacob and Esau. Why does it take so long? Why, what is faith anyway? It is to be sure. It is to be certain. When do you need to be sure? When do you need to be certain? In the time of waiting. While you're waiting. So here's the summary. God's plan, the upper story was to use this new nation called Israel, that's the lower story, to reveal his presence, his power, and his plan to what? To get us back. Every story of Israel, when you start reading the Bible like this, every story of Israel reveals the coming of Jesus. Every single one. The one that will provide the way back to God. The kingdom that reveals the children of God. Here we go. Chapter 3. Joseph from slave to deputy Pharaoh. 
Before I get into the Joseph story, let's get personal. Pain avoidance. How, much, how many of you like pain? Anybody raises their hand, you need counseling. Pain avoidance, avoidance is as natural as breathing. It is reflexive. Touch a hot plate and you'll jerk your hand away without thinking. If you see trouble down the road, you take an alternate route. It makes perfect sense to do what we can to what? Avoid pain and avoid struggle. But some of God's best work is done in the moments of life that feel more like a furnace than an afternoon of sunbathing. Sometimes a hard place is the right place for a person to meet God and become a, a useful instrument in the hand of our master. So here comes the lower story. We've gone from, from Adam and Eve in creation to Adam. He's starting a new, uh, Abraham, he's starting a new nation. And now we have the offspring of Abraham. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. God builds a nation, a kingdom that reveals the children of God. Jacob has 12 sons. Now things are rolling. Joseph, the 17-year-old dreamer and favored son with the coat of many colors, he takes a detour. And by the way, where are they living when Joseph was 17, when he is sold by his brothers into bondage, eventually to Egypt? Where are they living? A lot of people read this story and they miss this incredible point. Where are they living in Canaan? Where are they? They're in the promised land. Where, what, what's the promised land? It's what he promised Abraham and the children of Abraham. I'm going to give you, I'm going to make a covenant to give you this land. Well, where are they? When the time Joseph comes, Jacob and Joseph come upon, they're in the promised land. But he's heading for Egypt. Why? That's the story. The dreams and the fancy coat are not very well received by his brothers. Let's go to Genesis 37, 18. Joseph is on his way to join his brothers who are attending the sheep. It says, but they, his brothers, saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Where do you think that's coming from? There's a spirit war. They're plotting to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Jacob and the other sons, what, what's the dreams? I, I hope you have some background. The, the dreams are this. Joseph had already announced to his dad and his brothers that in the future that he saw a dream that all of them are bowing down to him. How would you like that if you're the brother? And he's the younger, too, that the older are going to bow down to the younger. What would become of these dreams? Understand something. These dreams were not Joseph's. These dreams were God's. God was revealing the future to Joseph. Joseph was being persecuted. Why do they hate him? Why do they hate him? They hate him because he listens to and believes God's communication to him. They hate him for that. Go to verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. 
Don't you think it's curious that Ishmael comes up again? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Go to verse 36 of Genesis. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Now, we know that he was 17 years old when this happened. 17 years old. Listen, 17-year-old favored son finds himself in a foreign land of Egypt as a slave to the captain of the guard. Now, now where was he before he got sold into Egypt? He's in the promised land. So he's in Canaan. He's in the place that God made a covenant to give the land to Abraham. Can you imagine him lying in bed at night and saying out loud, what else could go wrong? Have you ever been there? And the reason why I'm going down this road in this chapter is this. We humans have this idea that God could only be real when things are good. And if you read anything about this book, that's not how it works. But that doesn't mean God's not real or he's not there. Maybe he asked God about those dreams of his brothers bowing down and saying to God in that prison, what's that all about? Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph and eventually accuses him of attempted rape after his integrity refuses to give, to her, give in to her sexual advances. And one of my favorite scenes in the Bible comes up next, verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, oh, I love this. I encourage you to underline it. While Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Do you think God could do that? That God could make the people who hate you like you, and then they'll scratch their head and wonder why? Because I really don't like him, but I do. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that he was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph, and he gave him success in whatever he did. He was good at it. God wants to bless you in the midst of your circumstances, whether they're good or whether they're bad. Yes, you can live under the blessing while you're in suffering. Yes, you can. To do what? We must not flee. We must not flee from suffering. One of the hardest messages that a preacher can give to a church is this. We must not flee from suffering. There must be a time in your life where you would be willing to endure suffering for the cause of Christ. That you, let me give you a physical example. So many times the social pressure of the world we live in right now is this. If you don't go along with this woke agenda that's out there, 
this, this woke agenda. I don't know what other word to use for it. If you don't go along, you're going to be targeted. You're going to be marked by this, this, this woke group of society. And you think in your mind that that's going to make your life difficult. So you know what you start doing? You start, you start tiptoeing over on that side. Because I don't want to suffer. I, I don't want you to not like me. I'm a likable guy. I don't want you to not like me. And I know you're not going to like me if I, if I say, but I believe in the Bible. Now you're one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those. It's this idea that if I will withdraw from the potential of suffering, that somehow or another, uh, I can still get to the same place. You're not going to get to the same place because you've just turned and gone the wrong direction. You're listening to that other voice. You're choosing the other word. The other word says, you'll not die. You, you won't die. That's what Satan told Eve. You don't die. In the prison, Joseph didn't forsake God, but he shared him with those around him. God gave Joseph the ability to not only have dreams, but to interpret dreams of others. The cupbearer and the baker. The ability from God led Joseph to being called before Pharaoh to interpret the dream of the seven fat cows being eaten by the seven skinny or sickly cows. Joseph's amazing interpretation of that dream led Pharaoh to do what? This man goes from the lowest low to the highest high. Why? Because he stood in the midst of suffering. What happened? He was promoted to prime minister over all of Egypt. Genesis 41. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout all of Egypt. So I want you to look at the numbers. 30 minus 17 equals 13. 30 is when he got promoted to prime minister of Egypt. 17 is when he got sold by his brother, brothers to the Ishmaelites. That's 13 years between them. It took 13 years of tragedy to produce the first year of triumph. Would you be willing to endure 13 years of tragedy, suffering, hardship, stand with God no matter what it costs me to produce the first year of triumph? The woman's seed is going to crush the serpent's head. And when he crushes the serpent's head, the children of God will be revealed. Everything in this book is about that issue. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for good for those who love and have been called according to his purpose. I wonder if that's the most quoted but most misunderstood verse in all the Bible. He can do any, he, this Joseph story proves that God can take prison and, and being accused of rape and ugly brothers, and he can take all that mess and turn it into good for those who love the Lord. You better read the story. For all things, God works all things together for those who love him and are called by him according to his purpose. He's not going to work all these things together for good for those who hate him and those who won't stand with him and those who deny his name. It was not Joseph's plan to have dreams. It was not Joseph's plan to be hated by his brothers. 
It was not Joseph's plan to be sold into slavery. It was not Joseph's plan to live in Egypt. It was not Joseph's plan to be falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. It was not Joseph's plan to interpret the dreams of men in jail. It was not Joseph's plan to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh in Egypt. It was God's plan. It was all done according to his purpose. That is the upper story. And the question is, do you believe God's still writing upper story plans in the lower story lives of his children? Because I'm convinced he's still doing exactly the same thing right now. This is where we come in. Where are you right now? Are you a dreamer and a cistern? Some of you, if you'd be honest, you'd say, that Joseph guy's me. Are you in slavery, falsely accused in a prison? Don't quit before the fun part. Faith will deliver a kingdom, and the kingdom will reveal the children of God. Joseph lived to be 110 years old. Y'all want to do the math? 13 years of trouble brought 80 years of wonder, and all his dreams did come true. 22 years after, his, after he dreamed them, you know what happened? All of his brothers and his father bowed down to him. Every dream God gave him came true. There were 66 people in Jacob's family at this time who knew God. And they're all heading for Egypt. They're all leaving the promised land because there's a famine. And they're going to Egypt because of Joseph. God was going to use this event, Joseph in Egypt and a famine, to introduce himself to millions of people. No man would have ever dreamed up this plan. No man would have ever accomplished this plan. But God knew exactly what he was doing. 400 years later, when a guy named Moses shows up, the 66 people that traveled from the promised land to meet Joseph in Egypt became 2 million people. Called what? The children of God. You can't make this up. Genesis is the foundation. Everything is built on that foundation. What foundation? And the seed of a woman will crush the serpent's head. What a story. I'm supposed to make an announcement before I close tonight. Number one, you're all invited. At, they've got a meal set up in the fellowship hall. It's a potato bar. You've got sweet potatoes and regular potatoes and pulled pork. You've got potato bars, all that stuff sitting up there. If you don't eat it, then it's going to be a mess here for a while. So go up there. But before you go up there, if you've got kids in the nursery, you've got to get your kids. <laughs> I was told, don't you let them go up there and eat without getting their kids. You go get your kids before you go up there. And I'll see you uh, next, I'll see you Sunday, and then next Wednesday night. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this story, this marvelous story that you're going to do whatever it takes to get us back. Whatever it takes. You already did your part. The woman's seed has crushed the serpent's head. And in the cross, the serpent bit the heel of the Messiah, but he rose from the dead. And our faith in Him has created the children of God, the eternal, forever, blessed children of God. And for that, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.